As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to the Hold That Podcast podcast, everyone. I am Chris Branch, your host, along with Brody Miller. My co-hosts, we are both of The Athletic. Birdie, how are you today? I am doing well, man. It is a, I think I literally led the last show with this, but it is a chaotic time in just the Louisiana sports world and the entire sports world. So it's like, I'm excited for this pot because we have so much to get into. And it's beautiful weather out these days. Crawfish season. Life is good. How about yourself? I had my first crawfish last weekend. It has been... it. That was your first. Yeah, it was. Um, it was a real slacker Louisiana moment on my part, but um, it was at a rehearsal dinner for like mostly out of towners. So, but what a but great move. but then my Louisiana instincts were very much redeemed by being one of like three people that knew how to peel crawfish there. So I, <laughs> I led a little uh, teaching moment for all the Brooklynites, and it was uh, it was fun. I love that idea of rehearsal dinner crawfish. That's a power. Oh my God. The the weather was beautiful. We were outside. It was, um, it was the classic, uh, get married, uh, have a ceremony two years after because of COVID situation. So, uh, I love it. I I think I might steal that. And we've always joked, like, I want like a Popeye's buffet. Like I want a Popeye's catered wedding. That's my dream or something in that realm. (laughs) I think that's what would make me the happiest. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's like, you know, we're really, I could go, full louisiana and then like three times at the wedding people be like aren't you from jersey and i'd be like all right get him out of here so yeah like this is the rebrand what are you doing here but um but yes i love it was good it was good um we yeah we have a lot of things to talk about so let's start with spring practice is it's a thing it's happening and birdie you were in person along with all the other beat writers can you just tell me how the vibes were yeah, and that's such a good place to start because I think you know I've been to a lot of practice, spring practices, you know, the last you know ten years or whatever. And normally, I don't really have any strong thoughts on like practice vibes. Like, yeah, it's BS. And it was jarring. Like, I had at least four or five reporters, like you know, after practice, like we'd be talking and just be like, I have not felt no OSU practice feel like that in in my time, especially guys who've been there from miles era and, and all that and some people basically being like this is really the first time it's felt like that since Saban and I know like people really get a 
<laughs> Another reporter and I were actually joking about this this weekend. People get a little too uh, eager to like compare every LSU coach to Saban once they show certain traits, but like I think there's something to that. And just in terms of, and I'm getting to my point. Things felt very, and and you can read it in today's kind of notebook, but like felt very much controlled in a way they have never felt the last few years, and feel like very intense in a way. And controlled chaos is the theme I keep using because. It really just felt like everything was like, go, go, go. Everybody has an exact place they're supposed to be, an exact thing, and everything is really intense within those short windows. And the way people coached felt different. Like, again, this is abs- – I have zero insults or previous staffs and assistants and all that, but I just can't remember watching that many assistants just like – that specific and teaching real teaching points with every drill and having specific things that like they are trying to fix each time. And like, we're so active with players and communicative with players instead of just like going through reps and being like, good, good. You know, like everything felt, felt very different. And I know that's like so hard to like explain on a podcast and all this stuff, but it it was very noticeable. Everyone noticed it. Like it was really intense there. And Kelly was kind of just like, you know, he's a CEO and he's kind of just roaming and like very much like taking literal notes on a notepad throughout the practice as he roams place to place. I, you know, I, I even you know spotted him like two different times stopping with like student equipment managers to like explain something to them that they need to be doing differently in practice. And we asked him, you know, we, we talked about like, you know, what how do you normally run things at a practice? And it was really I think informative because he's like saying, he's like, yeah, you know, a lot of what I'm doing is getting stuff right with the medical staff, equipment staff, student managers, making sure things are laid out perfectly each period of practice, making sure the coaches are on the right coaching points for a drill. And like he maps the practice out himself in detail and, you know, and then he's going to the tent with the live GPS numbers and tracking the loads and making sure the tempo is right and all this stuff and figuring out when to push and when not to push. Like, and I, I say all this to say, like, everything just felt very planned. And I think when things are well planned, it gives you a box to work super hard in. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's easier to know exactly how hard to work in a certain setting and all these things when things are very tightly organized in my personal experience. So Kelly was really impressive in that sense. Because people always ask, like, what does a CEO really do? That's the shit they're really doing. So, yeah, man, it was a... Uh, I'll take that where you will, but it was a very noticeably different. I mean, practice. it just sounds like he kind of lived up to his rep coming in at least one practice in, you know, he is an organized, uh, he, he runs an organization. He, um, you know, he is, he's really the CEO and it's, <laughs> it's, it's funny to call him a CEO after, you know, the last coach was a CEO and his, his name was also coach. O. so it's really weird to call Brian Kelly a CEO, but anyway, um, oh, true. Yeah. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but in Ed Ogeron era, and I know in the Les Miles era, there there was just like a, a 15, 20, 30-minute window where the media was allowed to watch practice. And with Kelly, correct. you guys were there the whole time? No. Okay. No, no, uh, no. So this week, I believe there are two practices this whole spring season we will be able to get an entire practice, which, yeah, is very rare, especially at like high levels of football, right? right? Um, no. These first two, we basically got 20-ish minutes each. Now, to their credit, we're, we're seeing, like, the first one was more like the Ogeron era, where it's like, yeah, you're seeing, like, I think it's going to be different each practice. The first one was a little bit more, like, we got the position drills, right? Which is how it normally was with O2. And by the way, I'm not, I, I made sure to write this in the last thing, like, 
I'm not even like dunking on the old regime because Ed was actually even slightly more giving with access than a lot of other countries, mm-hmm. right? Like even giving practice, even like, you know, how open Ed was. Like he was better than a lot than Les Miles was, you know, like it's all relative. So I'm not, this is not like dunking on, but yeah. And then Saturday's practice we got to go to, it was still only 20 ish minutes, but we got to see like freaking 11 on 11, you right. know, like we got to see real team stuff and like actual coaches, like just torching guys, you know, and, and just real access to things that normally we're not seeing. So to answer your question. It's just, it's really cool to see data and actual highlights that will be replayed over and over again on your local TV stations. If you were here in Louisiana, a lot, a lot of practice jerseys, a lot of out routes, but still it's, it is, it feels like the official start of football season. So it was cool to see. Um, I mean, we have to start with the quarterbacks, right? Fill me in, you know, and I, I will say, Brody mentioned a story. Everybody should go read it if you're an athletic subscriber. It was a great breakdown. It was very comprehensive. It'll get you excited. So anyway, to the quarterbacks. Uh, I mean, we, we should start with Jaden Daniels. He is the new guy in the room. He is the surprise guy here still. I'm still surprised he's here. Like, I kind of forgot that he came because I, I just, it surprised me so much. So but what did you think about Jaden's his first practice? Yeah, I, I think in it's like, guys, I can't preface this enough. Like, I really can't. I will never be the guy who is going to pretend I got a real sense of who a quarterback is after watching him make, like, a few light throws and some drills and stuff. So bear with me here. I'm just giving you what I saw, right? But, yeah, I think, you know, it, it looked a little interesting. Like, I saw him, you know, in, like, even just a position drill kind of miss a few throws, you know, just kind of, like, miss And, again, it doesn't mean anything. Or, like... You know, I, I saw, like, you know, during one of the seven-on-sevens, you know, he kind of, like, didn't find someone open a few times and took off running in a seven-on-seven and, you know, or, or taking a little long to make a read on some stuff. You know, I, I don't know. But, yeah, he's learning a new offense, all this. But I don't know if I came away from that looking like Jaden Daniels. Okay, no-brainer, right? He's really thin but really tall. Um, a lot of what I saw from him was very much actually, like, completely lining up with kind of everything – we'd heard from the Arizona State years, which in that sense of, I mean, again, this isn't a negative inherently. People are just different. But kind of everything I gathered was he was kind of, you know, more of like a go-with-the-flow, chill, kind of keep-to-himself type. You know, he's not really a leader. He's not really, like, talking all the time with everybody and all that stuff. And, yeah, there's some negatives to that, and there's some positives to that. And I think that's kind of what I saw. Again, limited time. Right. But, you know, like, he was kind of standing off on his own a little bit while, like, Brennan was very much, like, absolutely, like, buddies with, with Howard and Nussmeyer and, like, helping them all the time. And, again, Daniel's new. It's hard. It was, like, again, like, he's new. Like, that's probably just a result of that. But, yeah, I just kind of felt like I got that vibe a lot. Or, like, even the way he went through drills, again, not a bad thing, but, like, very, like, chill and just kind of, like, you know, go with the flowy, you know, and which is a, a skill in a lot of ways, but just kind of interesting. So I didn't come away exactly, like, I think I went into this about like two weeks ago thinking Daniels has the leg up, right? And I think after this first week, and I know we're going to get into Brennan more in a second, I'm actually like, wait, I think this is a real, real competition, and you could convince me Brennan like might even have a leg up. I don't know. I'm so early. But yeah, I think it's – I feel more it's a competition than before. But I go back to – because we even talked – I think we talked the day before we spoke to Kelly. He had some really interesting quotes about like on, on Thursday about – you know, how, you know, basically he was saying 
he was asked about, you know, Daniels' ability to extend plays and run and all that, and he was really high. He's like, I think that he was actually really open. He was saying, yeah, if you looked at their offense, it was a ball control offense. It was, it was more about him, you know, not making mistakes and controlling the ball for the defense. So a lot of it was holding the ball and taking off running and things like that. And, and they're like, they th- they're basically said they don't think they've scratched the surface yet of what Daniels can do. So totally could see a scenario where Daniels has so much more to offer. I mean, he's a really, really special player. And the last thing I'll throw out here before I throw back to you is I will always say this. Guys like Daniels don't look as good in practice. You know what I mean? Like, like the guy who's just like tight in accuracy looks amazing in practice. A guy like Daniels, who's a football player who knows how to just go out there and make plays, he's not going to be showing me what he's amazing at in practice. So it is worth throwing that caveat in as well. I'm just I, I am curious to read the tea leaves uh, from Brian Kelly speaking um, about how he fits in. I mean, it's it's literally his first couple weeks here, so I'm not going to be like oh. He's aloof. He's not part of the team. He's he's literally literally the new kid in school. So, absolutely. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him developing. Uh, are we going to hear from him anytime this spring? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, the big it's trick because I think so far, if you just use for example the the you know the players we got Saturday, it was very clearly they have ten people on what they call their SWAT team, which mm-hmm. is like, and the, I have all the story on this eventually, but. It's like basically like these 10 leaders who then draft their own players and then they're accountable for those guys. And it's a really cool system that I'll write about. But um, they clearly are bringing out like the leaders of that group, right? We got Miles Brennan, Jack Besh, BJ Ojolari, and Ali Gay, four of those main guys. I bet we'll get Mike Jones soon. I bet we'll get Mason Smith, you know, mm-hmm. guys like that. Um, we're clearly on that, I think. So I don't, by that default, I don't know if Daniels will be very high on the list. Plus, Daniels has. You know, there's just a lot of, like, protecting the guys. You know how it is with this. It's yeah. like, I don't know if they're going to throw Daniels into the line of questioning he might be getting and, you know, some of the backstory with him. I just don't know. But maybe they do because they did bring us one quarterback. So there's two different precedents you could spin that as. It's like, oh, they gave one quarterback, then they'll give the next. Because, hey, you brought Brennan out. Brennan was there to get asked some tough yeah. questions, man. Now, Brennan's prepped. He's good at that stuff. Brennan's a great talker. I almost forget because we don't get him that much because he's always hurt. But, like, he's real. he was great Saturday. I know we're going to get into that in a second. But, uh I, I, I keep giving way too long answers to qu- simple questions you're giving me. It's I okay. But, yeah, I, I, I'd put it at 50-50. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I that's why I'm so fascinated with, with Daniels is because I know Miles Brennan. Like, from, from this vantage point, I know him very well as a football player. He's been around so long. I mean, I know we got limited time with him in-game, but he is just such a familiar face that, like, I don't question him. I know he's going to be solid, too great. Uh, I hope that he stays healthy. Like I, I don't know. Like he's like that's that. What makes me feel good about this quarterback room is that like even if Jaden Daniels wasn't here, I would be like we're going to have a good quarterback. I'm not stressed about that. But Jaden throws in this like new wrinkle of like ooh this this could be different and maybe better, maybe not. I don't know. But. I have been impressed reading and seeing what Miles has said in that he doesn't seem like a guy who's worried. And especially when, I mean, Miles is what, 22? He might be 23. I don't know. He's. Yeah, probably coming up on 23. But still, yeah. uh, somebody that young uh, who is in this high pressure situation, you would be able to tell if he was really feeling the, like, oh my God, we have another transfer quarterback coming in that is going to theoretically replace me when it's quote unquote my turn. 
Like you could probably tell if he was fatigued and he doesn't seem that way. It seems like he is very positive. He's taking on that leadership role. Um, he's really stepping up. I mean, it, it seems like a really mature, uh, attitude he has. So, um, I mean, I, we, we can talk about miles and how you felt about seeing him, but like, I, I don't, yeah. I don't have any questions about miles Brennan. And that, I think that's a good thing. <laughs> no, I think there's a lot, just Brennan was fascinating. And I get a lot of, I think I'll have a story either out Tuesday morning. I'm hoping, uh, on both Brennan and Daniels and a bunch of stuff, but no, I think Brennan though, it is interesting because to your point, he, I feel very confident telling you back in 2017 and 2018, Miles Brennan did not exactly show things that made people think he was going to be a leader. You know, he was kind of that like blonde, rich, you know, like he seemed to a lot of people like that blonde, rich kid, you know, like, you know, who didn't really gel with everybody, you know, and I think it's very notable how not knowing, I don't think people disliked him, but you know how that goes. And I think it's really fascinating how he's become a leader, like a real one, Mm -hmm. like in 2020. I mean, shoot, um, he really stepped up during a lot of the, you know, uh, racial unrest and the protests and the skipping of practice. And he gained a lot of love in that room by how he stood up and said during all that craziness with coach. O, I don't know if I understand all this and I don't even know if I agree with all this, but I ha- but he said in this, I've written this a few times, but he basically said, but you guys are my teammates and you're feeling something and I love you. So I'm going to listen to you and I'm going to support you. And I know that went a long way with a lot of people in that. Right. Room. And I know that whole year he spent, so it's just it's it is fascinating to me that he went from like the opposite of kind of what you'd want to follow to again. I'm not saying he's Joe Burrow in that room where everyone's going to just follow that guy, but he is a leader. He is a respected guy in that locker room, and I think you've seen that the way he's handled everything the last few years, and it was noticeable. And this part's not like the diss on Daniel's part; it's just credit to Brendan. It was really noticeable how much, like even just those small samples of practice, how much he's, you know talking to Nussmeyer after a rep or patting Walker Howard on the head. And just like he is clearly trying to like shepherd these young guys and kind of help them out a bit because he knows that's his role and all that. And, and you know, I bet there's more cynical ways you could view that because that's, you know, how we view things sometimes. But, yeah, I, I think it's fascinating where he's at. And he was really open about like they've been really transparent with me about the competition and bringing Daniels in so I don't hold any grudges against them. And I think what was kind of cool – was just, I don't know, like, he's talking very confidently, just like, yeah, man, I've been in, like, six quarterback competitions. I don't care. And he has this mentality of, like, I'm good enough to win this anyway. I've proven what I can do. And it's almost like if I can't win it, that's on me, you mm-hmm. know? And I think that's, uh, and a lot of it, you know how it is sometimes, like, media is, you know, sometimes you're projecting what you don't, it's harder to actually live. But uh, I, I think he's very much handling this completely the right way. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct TV satellite-free. You see this? 
this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. It's good to hear. It's good to know. I mean, that's that's why I think there's a really solid foundation there. And the only reason that like Jane Daniels would play is if he presents a better option. So I I have total faith in Miles, to be honest. Um, let's get to something just as important to me is that I was watching some highlight film from practice and I was like, who the hell is number 13? Who is this quarterback? Is this, this some walk on? This is this some like uh, must be some guy who's just going to hold a clipboard and call plays in from the sideline. And then I was like, Jane Daniels is number five. I was like, where's Nussmeyer? Why? So, uh, like, do you know why they changed numbers? Like, what? <laughs> well, I think one. I'm sure there was like a conversation. Yeah. You know, like Jane Daniels being like, "Hey, man, that's like my thing." And if I recall, and I'm pulling it up on high school stuff right now. I feel pretty confident Garrett Nussmeyer's number was always 13. Interesting. Like, so I don't know if it was like, I'm sure, you know, sometimes these things aren't that complicated. He's like, yeah, you know, I'll go back to 13. You know, like, it's totally possible. Also, maybe he wanted to be 13 the whole time and he had to wait for John Trey Kirkland. You know? Like, uh, good you, point. I'm actually even seeing stuff of like uh, his, his like recruiting. You know, you always put jerseys on during your recruitment. Mm-hmm. Like, he wore 13 during his visits and stuff. So, Honestly, it might just be like he wanted to go back to 13 or maybe it's just a bit somewhere in the middle of Daniel's like, hey, man, would you mind? And he's like, yeah, that works. You know, so that's my guess. I'm good with it. But I want to talk about Howard wearing 14 because I have a lot of thoughts on numbers. I spend a lot of weird amount of time thinking about numbers and how they fit and how they like change the way we view a player because you just look different based on certain numbers. Mm -hmm. 14 for me. You need to be. I think 14 is like a weird. I'm sure by the time he's older, he's going to switch to like 12. Or sixteen or whatever. I don't. I don't love fourteen for Walker Howard. I'm gonna Why? Say, I think fourteen. I think fourteen is like. There's something about that number that inherently makes you think it's like a bit more of a game manager, bit more of like a stocky, like simple quarterback. And I don't get excitement from fourteen. It, like it makes you look a little less dynamic, and it does a lot of stuff for me. So I think fourteen's like not the right choice. And sometimes, like you said, with Nussmeyer, like you take a number freshman year, knowing you're going to get a different number eventually. But I have thoughts on it. It is interesting that he takes 14, who is uh, now occupied or was occupied by the new presumptive Texas A&M starting quarterback, Max Johnson. Um, I choose to think that Walker Howard is going to be like uh, my favorite 14 of my LSU uh, young memory, Herb Tyler. Who was the court? Who was the quarterback nice, nice. for LSU's 1997 big upset win over Florida? He was a pretty good college quarterback. We loved Herb Tyler. But by the way, he he kind of fits that like big stocky guy thing. I think 14 works for big stocky. Well, Herb guys. Herb Herb was like Dan Fouts. Herb was a short guy, but he was looked like he had some thickness. Yeah, to him. he was he was he was a runner. I, I wouldn't say he was he was a really tall guy, but um. Oh well, yeah, but. Again, I just think like 14, like, I feel like Walker Howard is like a very classic quarterback. And like, he's wearing 16, 12, 11, 9, 8. I think you should tell you him know, that. Like, I think you should be like, Walker, I, I need to talk to you about some serious stuff here. The amount I've had to bite my tongue in these years of just being like, man, you got to read this. <laughs> like, I think about it often. But then sometimes they surprise me. 
Like Jamone Clark made thirty five an incredibly badass number. Yeah, he and I'm did. Like, linebackers should wear thirty five. Yeah. That's a good. That's a good linebacker number. So I, I'm I'm open to being wrong. I just yeah I have my thoughts. okay. Well, also I can't confirm that Garrett Nesmeyer wore thirteen in high school. So we just solved that on the fly. Dogged and resourceful <laughs> reporter here. Uh, let's get on the actual serious topics. Uh, let's talk about yes. Keishon Butte. What yeah. what I, I was so honestly confused by Brian Kelly's comments on Keishon. I mean. We knew that Keishon's back in the fold. There was some worry that he might be thinking about transferring. He's not transferring. And then and, and, and that's been fine for a while. And then Brian Kelly says in his first presser of the spring that Keishon A had another surgery. And then B, and correct me on the exact quote, that Keishon was maybe dealing with some mental health issues. What Can you please say the direct quote so I don't misconstrue this? Yeah, one second, I'll pull it up. Um, yeah, and and he said he's a good kid, but this has been a rough spot for him. Um, and what what happens is when you tend to get distracted because you're not involved in everything, but learning you have to be involved in everything. Whether but he's learning you have to be involved in everything, whether you're injured or not. And that's a process he's going through. We're seeing some good changes. Had a nice conversation, yada yada. And he also the first thing he said. And and again, like I feel like so often on this pod, I'm like the tool guy who's like. Well, you know, we've been hearing this. No, like I, I feel like sometimes it's relevant to set the stage for you guys listening. Every, like I think ninety percent of people in that room, we heard a pretty you know benign question about like the question was essentially just fishing for like, all right, how's it going with your best player? You know, like, right. that's all. And it, and he basically took it as if we all knew this, like it was documented. And it was just like he basically got really awkward and said, and by the way, I'm not making fun of Ryan Kelly. I love that transparency, but he was like, we're in the process of building a relationship. And he got like, it's like, eh, we're in the process. And he said, I would say, I know his last name right now. Oh my God. And I missed that quote. He said that. Yes. That was the first thing he said. And again, there's a lot of context here. And, and I say that because I don't think it's like as holy crap they're in trouble <laughs> as like it might all read. I think there's a lot of context. In hindsight, I realized that Keishon Butte did an interview on Jordy Collada's show that morning. And it, after looking back on it, that's probably why Kelly was talking like it's open because he was kind of talking about a lot of stuff. But the context I'd throw in here is, okay, like you said, there were a lot of rumors in December that Keishon Butte was shopping a little. Mm-hmm. And there were rumors that like he was going to Alabama. People were confident in that. And obviously, then NIL stuff comes together, and NIL went from being LSU went from being pretty behind on NIL to all of a sudden, you know, he's getting some big time deals with some local people here. Obviously, as we've talked about before, and now all of, and then he's hurt during all that, and then a new staff comes in. And he said on the Collada show, he's like, "Yeah, I spent a lot of time wondering like if I really wanted to be with this staff." So again, he just openly said that that day, and you, it's just like this combination of and all. Then he's injured, and he's he he's mentioned how like NIL is like wow. You know, business has taken over a lot of my life. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And it's like, okay, you almost left. Now you're giving a lot, and this is in my opinion, but you're giving a lot of time with NIL now. You're not showing up to everything because you're hurt. You're not really that involved. And, you know, just all, and, and you're giving public interviews saying some of this stuff. And I think basically Kelly's saying is like, and you know how like, you know, like, hey, we're Tottenham fans. Like, Antonio Conti, a lot of times, will say stuff, and it's like, he's saying it to send yeah, a message. Yeah, that's what I assumed, you know? honestly. I feel like Brian, I took this exactly, a little bit of, like, Brian Kelly being like, all right, I'm going to make this a public call out. And was just like, yeah, he is not involved. He's learning he needs to be involved. You need him around. And then the last thing I'll add on to this is, 
one of the biggest themes I'm writing about soon and all that is this change of accountability under Kelly. Like things are genuinely different. There, things are much more regimented. There is a system of if you are not accountable, we are going to punish you. Not like in a weird way, but like, you know, like uh, there's one story of like if you're late to a workout, even if by like seconds, if they're already lining up and you walk in, you have to run to the middle of the field in front of everybody and run your whatever the punishment is, gassers or whatever, in front of everyone. Like it's a system of actually building accountability. And, you know, it's well it's well documented that Trey Palmer and Dwight McLaughlin are guys who kind of, you know, I wouldn't say were kicked off by any means, but like, you know, nudged out because they kept breaking rules and stuff and not, and not being accountable. So I also think that's the other thing to throw into this is things are much more regimented under him. And I think Butte falls in the category of guys who like Butte is not like an undisciplined kid. He's not actually, but he works really hard, but hasn't exactly like gelled with that while being hurt and all that. So it's a long way of saying, I think that that whole thing was a combination of NIL, the almost leaving stuff, injury stuff, which is hard. And, this change of regime being tough for some kids. So I don't think it's like they're in trouble. I actually think it's really interesting that he ended with like, he actually said in a very like genuine kind of charming way, like the rest of the stuff will work it out. I'm not that hard headed. He's a good player. You know, like I don't think it's panic mode, Yeah, but it was very interesting. That is interesting. Well, I, that is something write it down in your notebook and uh, we're going to keep coming around to it. I'm sure that there will be questions for him every single press conference now about what Kayshawn's up to. So uh, as an LSU fan, I hope that gets worked out because I would say Keishon Booty is our best player. And I don't think that's unfair yeah. to say. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to just put that in the back of the brain and keep going. <laughs> Great. Good stuff. Um, one thing that I took from your story that I was interested to hear more about is the linebackers. You know, like yeah. you mentioned Damone Clark, but there, there has been this fantastic succession of LSU linebackers and Coming into this year, I know Damone really hyped up Greg Penn. Uh, I don't know a lot about Greg Penn, uh, you know, on the field. But in your story, you mentioned that the starting inside linebackers were Greg Penn and Mike Jones Jr. Now, if you guys remember, Mike Jones Jr. came from Clemson. He transferred last year. It was a big deal when he announced he was transferring to LSU. Everyone was really excited. And then I feel like we didn't really get to see Mike Jones a lot until later in the year. And he yeah. didn't really pop at all until the end of the year. And so, but it, it was a nice thing at the end of the year that Mike Jones was making plays, but I just, I, I just hadn't really like seen a lot out of him. And then you mentioned in your story that the coaches are really high on him and that he has been really putting in the work and really shining with the new staff uh, as evidenced by he was on the first team in practice. So tell me, tell me more about what the, what the, uh, what the vibes are like around Mike in the linebackers room, um, you know, you did mention that Micah Baskerville, who has feels like he's been here for 10 years at, in a good way. He's a very reliable linebacker, was not in that starting two. Um, what's what's the situation there right now? Yeah, is it weird that I feel like this slight vindication because I feel like every radio show I've been on and on this show many times whenever we talk about battles we're most interested in, I'm always the weird guy who's like, I'm fascinated by a linebacker. And everybody's like, okay, that's like <laughs> We talk about O line and quarterback, yeah, like in corner. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, no, I, I'm, I'm always most fascinated by rooms where it's like six possibilities, but I have no idea who's number one. Those always interest me more than like the we're screwed. Right. And um, yeah, so I think, you know, you go back to Jones is interesting because jo Jones, obviously, yeah, came in so highly touted, like you said. And then he started to play one by default, right? It was like everybody was hurt and he kind of had to play him. But more than that, I don't want to, because I'm speculating to some extent here, 
But I also know for a fact that once O got fi- was you know agreed to be fired, and <laughs> something happened where suddenly Gerard I just want to really allowed. I just want to point. It was he allowed to run what I he wanted? I just want to point out that that agreed to be fired is just a very funny. I mean, it's it. Pers- it just throws into effect like how stupid last year was. Just that 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 is an accurate phrase for what happened to the coach who won a national title. Anyway, just agreed to be fired. <laughs> no, I know. I I was like celebrating with people the other day. Like, man, God, it felt so good to have like a normal availability and be like, well, yeah, but didn't you get in person again at the end of last year? And I'm like, yeah, but that was the most. Everything about that was just dark and ominous and depressing. Like everything about because I think we got it, like the last four weeks. Yeah. But everything then was just. Mm-hmm. Ugly. So it was like, no, that wasn't normal. Anyway, Keep going. Yeah. So Dronte Jones was then basically allowed to run what he wanted. That's why LSU suddenly went attacking. That's why they started blitzing all the time. It's why they changed their front basically entirely. Dronte Jones wasn't really allowed to do what he wanted to do. And again, I don't want to make too big of a leap here because I think Jones was in part like they just had to play him. But it is interesting that once Jones was allowed to do what he wanted, Mike Jones then became a really good looking mm-hmm. player. He had, I remember. I think he had at least one sack, but he had like multiple great pressures. Uh, he had some great plays and coverage. He looked really yep. good. And by the way, those it's not like it was an outlier. Like those five weeks, LSU was literally went from bottom five of the SEC in every category to top three or four in the SEC in every single category. So it's obviously he does have some proof of his ability. And then yeah, like like you said, I just kept hearing throughout. January and February, like, hey, who are the guys you're leading on to the new staff and all that? And they're like, man, we are blown away by Mike Jones, like both during workouts and on the field, off the field. And I think we talked about this when he first started doing interviews. Mike Jones is like one of the smartest, sharpest, just like guys to talk to, period. Like that guy. And and I wrote a year ago about like how he he was the guy leading protests at Clemson. He's Mm. really just good leader and all that. So I'm not surprised. I kind of I had a deep gut feeling he would start. Almost regardless. And Baskerville's so fascinating because the thing with Baskerville always has been, right? He's solid. Mm-hmm. He does his job. He's, he knows where to be. But Micah Baskerville isn't like physically wowing you. It's like kind of like a baseline thing. So for him now to be, you know, some of the things I've heard is like they want him to be a little more reliable. Like, the, you know, maybe he's not being as, you know, doing some things you need to do. That's interesting because that basically means you're removing one of his you know, main calling cards, you know, it just seems like, and it's not like he's inherently like making you just physically elitely better on the field. So if that's true with Baskerville, it's not surprising that Greg Penn gets that second spot for now to practice, mm-hmm. but because Greg Penn is physically a guy who can be a star and he works really hard, does the right things. And yeah, like he kind of, Demone Clark is a, a different category physically, but kind of seems like he could feel that Clark-esque vibe of like that just freak sideline to sideline runner. So I'm not surprised there. And it's going to be so – linebackers just so fascinating because, like, we, we're talking about three guys right there. Still haven't even mentioned Jared Small, who's back, by the way, from uh, for, like, I believe his sixth mm-hmm. year. And, you know, no joke was going to be the starting linebacker last year. And granted, who knows what his knee's going to be like. We didn't really get to see it much. But he's back. So that's another starter caliber. And they bring in two transfers in Colby Fields and West Weeks from good programs. It's like – those guys are good enough to play most places. And they're like, what, five, six, like in the, in the peck yeah. order? And by the way, Josh White is a really interesting prospect who just keeps getting I hurt. Know. Like, I'm high on Josh White. He's my guy. My uh, And then and Harold Perkins is a, and Demario Tolan are two really, really highly touted linebackers. So it's like, 
Perkins could totally end up being in that rotation when it's all said and done. You could tell me right now, West Weeks ends up being starting. And I wouldn't like, I'd be like, oh, okay. So I'm so intrigued, but it's just very telling to me that Penn gets that spot now. Because when you have upside and the staff already thinks of you there, that's a good sign. You know yeah, what I mean? Totally. I mean, that, that's why I really latched onto that part of your story because it was very encouraging. And then you realize the depth in that, like, I, I don't know. That's, I'm, I'm really high on that. Um, I'm excited. It, it, it actually made me excited about the defense, which is fun. So, um, I want to save a couple other big positions for our next podcast to not drone on too long. Fair. Uh, I feel like the secondary needs its whole podcast because they're all new. Like, yeah, I, I know that we got all these transfers in and like, I know all the guys, I know where they're from, but just like reading it all in one paragraph in your story about like, you know, Greg Briggs Jr. did this and Joe Fush is here. And I'm just like, Oh God, these guys play for us now. And like, I, I just, it wasn't coalescing in my brain just yet. So, uh, it's a long spring. <laughs> and, uh, we should, we, yeah, we should do well, some secondary talk, but I'm going to, I'm going to punt that. And by the way, just to parallel to Mike Jones, like it's actually a great example because the big caveat I keep giving everyone is like, yeah, I think LSU brought three legitimately good corners in, but they're also three transfers and you just don't know. And Mike Jones is the example. Like, Sometimes you are a really good player who is still going to work out, but being a transfer sometimes just takes mm-hmm. time, you know. Like, and that's just the the thing I'll remind everyone. So as we and we'll get into that more in the next few weeks, but I just want to say that. So lo- love a transition, which is what we're doing here, because I was talking about saving the secondary, which is something that I'm going to be looking for over the next reports. You know, I'm not there at practice with you guys. Uh, but what are you looking for the rest of spring practice? Now that we have we have gone through the uh, the first day of school, we, we we did there, and now we have homework. It was like you saw the people. Ooh, Mike Jones is a starting the linebacker. Craig Penn, Joe Fusha made a good play, et cetera, et cetera. But now, like, we get to actually get to the work and get more data and more talking points and more updates. So, what are you looking for the rest of spring from your vantage point? Hmm, I think. And this is like kind of inside baseball boring maybe, but at the same time, it's what everyone wants to talk about. I, I want to follow the O-line more just because it's like we got a glimpse of what the technical first team O-line was during an 11-on-11, but like I don't think Miles Frazier was doing everything mm-hmm. yet. Um, it looked like Anthony Bradford wasn't there. Um, it looked like um, Marlon Martinez wasn't participating in everything. So, And obviously, Garrett Dellinger has a shoulder, so he's there but not participating in everything. And, I, and again, we haven't talked to Kelly since we noticed all that, so we'll get some answers on some of those guys. But I, it just I want to follow like what their ideal pecking order is at O line because should I take something that Cardell Thomas and Marcus Dumerville are the starters on the right, or is that literally just those are the next guys up and they're actually third string and you know it's really going to be Martinez and, and Frazier? Mm-hmm. You know, like I don't know. So that's where I'm really following, just figuring out who's healthy, what's going on. You know, Charles Turner's the center right now. Charles Turner's pretty solid, but like, so it wouldn't surprise me if he's the starter, and he's played center the most by far out of any of those guys that are learning it. So maybe, but at the same time, I just have this deep gut feeling it'll be either Martinez or or Dellinger there. Um, I think the other thing I'm following is um, one, the John Emeryness. You know, shocker. Uh, he looks built, yeah. man. He looks jacked. Like he's, I think he's up to two fifteen or something. Like he's built and. He looked really good at times. And, you know, and Kelly's comment was so relevant to say, like, because he can't tell us when I asked him about that. 
uh, he can't tell us like his academics are in order. That's against the rules. But so him being able to say anyone you see out there has met our expectations. And for him to then say all the, you know, hope like things we gave him, he has exceeded them. That he's, it's him telling us Emery's you know, yeah. on the right yeah. track and everything looks good. So I'm fascinated that because Emery looks so good at times. Then he fumbled a ball and Frank Wilson got on him. You know, I just, Emery's always going to be so fascinating for me. And, um, so I think those are my main ones there for sure. And then the other is just, and I'll, I'm sorry because there's so much going on during practices that it's hard for me to like check every box. I haven't got a good look at like who the three man front is. Mm, yeah. yeah, it's hard. I'm sorry because you know, it's, it seems like it's going to be more of a three four for now, or at least just base. B.J. Ojolari is going to be more of a stand up outside linebacker, which I think is a great idea. I think we'll thrive there. But obviously, Mason Smith's one of the guys. And I believe Jaqueline Roy is, but I didn't get a look at like who the nose tackle is. I just can't wait to see because three four changes the responsibilities right. of those linemen. So it's like, you know, is Guillory the nose? Probably he's the most true nose of that group. What is Wingo? What is Roy? Because Roy's not huge, mm-hmm. you know. Like, so I, I I'm a nerd, but I think that's what I'm really fascinated in. You ready? Showtime on May third. Summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to order another tiki drink as I sit in my beach chair on Emory Island. I'm not going to press. Yeah. I'm not going to be like, Brody, I need every single Emory update because we're cruising. It, sound, it sounds like everything's <laughs> yeah, going like, great. And you don't want to show your hand too I'm not much, rocking the you know? boat. You, you don't want- I'm, not, I'm not posting yeah. an Instagram every day about how, how great it is because I just know everything's good. I don't need to project that to the world. I'm cautiously yeah, no, optimistic. That's a great call because you don't want to rise the price yet. That's right. You need that's to soft right. play. Yeah. yeah. You want a soft play. Soft, you can buy more, maybe. Soft yeah. play in my hand here. So, uh. But Wait, shout out to John. Go on. Um, shout out to John. Uh, I wanted to ask your thoughts as I figured you'd get a kick out of the the rule that reporters are not allowed to tweet from yeah. practice. and have to wait till it's over because I feel like you of all people would get the biggest kick out of like, I just can't wait till there's something really juicy that happens. And it's just like, like what are like, like say someone something horrific happens and we're just have like two hours where we can't report it. Are we just tweeting like eyeball emojis? Like would, how would you I play would, that? You I know? would order you guys all to the gulag to jail for that kind of stuff. Like just tell me, <laughs> tell me when you can, I'm not going to freak out about eyeball emojis. And I would honestly punch you all in the slap you all in the face. Uh, I want to have fun with it and piss everyone off though. Like I want to just, be I don't like, want you to do that. Watch out guys. Yeah. It would be really fun. I don't have that much fun, and I want to have one. Everybody, you know, there is um, – I'm still scarred from – this is really uh, old head in me here. Uh, when Leonard Fournette was committed to LSU, or I don't know if he had actually committed yet, but there was like a, a high school all-star game, and there was just these reports kicking up in the air there. 
that Leonard Fournette was actually going to go to Texas and Nick Saban was going to be the coach of Texas. This was, uh, so this would have been like, Oh yeah. 2014. Yeah. And it was, it was very formative for me as a extremely online person because there was two hours there and all these reporters are, are tweeting out all these rumors, unsubstantiated stuff. That was just like basically what you're talking about. The eye emojis, the, Ooh, and I'm like, oh my God, LSU is going to lose the number one recruit in the state who has been a re- commit forever to Texas. And then Nick Saban is going to go, which honestly would have been great news for me. But <laughs> sure. Luna Fournette. And I was like, and, and then nothing ever happened. And so honestly, the worst thing that could see this is, this is the both as a fan, and I'm speaking for all the fans listening to this podcast. If you and everybody else started tweeting little eyes emojis and little little frowny faces and made us wait two hours. So, so <laughs> what if I did it? And it then never, it's like, it, 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 it I, doesn't go your way either way. The first way is that it's not something that you worry about as much. So you guys are doing all this. And then it's like, um, Keishan Bouti is going to miss one more practice. And I'm going to be like, I'm going to kill you. Ready? No. See, I, what I want to do is tweet the emojis and like really get you guys going. And then just be like, Brad forgot first team, right? Guard reps, you know, really I, troll see, you. And like, yes. I would just, I, I would, I would hate you and see. And then the, the other way it happens yeah. is that if you tweet all them and then you follow it up with the bad things. So I have to sit in this bad news for longer and I hate you even more. Ooh, that's a great point. Don't yeah. do it. Well, all press is good press or whatever. No, the is, so no, you know, not, not this way. Me. I'm kidding, guys. I'm obviously not going to do this. If anything, this is better for athletic coverage. <laughs> it means I can take more time to get it Speaking good. Speaking of uh, this, um, you just sent me on. A, I'm all in a tizzy now think, thinking about this fake Hell thing. Hell yeah. Um, what, next practice is Saturday that you guys are allowed to go to? I'll double check, but I believe that's the, that's the full one, but I believe it's that. Everybody stay off Twitter for two hours on Saturday afternoon and just check Twitter or whatever news source you look at later in the evening. Uh, we do have a short availability Thursday. Okay, Thursday. So maybe maybe log on about 6 o'clock Thursday and see what people are actually saying instead of leading you on about gaslighting us into the depths of misery two practices in. God, I'm mad at you already. You're not fun anymore. Let's move on. I do want to quickly touch on the Matt McMahon press conference that you went to, the new basketball yeah. coach. You really had a double trouble that day with Brian Kelly and Matt McMahon talking on the same day. Uh, what are your thoughts? What, how did he come across? I mean, it, it seems like he said all the right things. I don't know if it was the most uh, scintillating press conference, but I don't think that's a bad thing either. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. It wasn't exactly the uh, most, yes, yeah, you used the right word. Simulating was my next one. Like, I think to some extent, Matt, the most noticeable thing for me was he probably got six questions, you know, at least attached to something about the NCAA violations, maybe more than that. And he like confidently just didn't even like come near it. Not even like an acknowledgement that things will be tough, you know, nothing. Like it's just like, we're going to recruit the best players. And obviously that is all he is allowed to do. And that was clearly a mandate, but it was just like, it meant you couldn't even learn that much about the plan, Mm -hmm. you know, about like, you know, what we talked about last week about like, are you going to shift how you recruit all that stuff? Like, I just think we got nothing. His response was basically always like, it's LSU. LSU should get the best players. <laughs> and we're going to win championships and all that stuff. So, yeah, Matt McMahon seemed, and I, and obviously I've 
you know, talking to Brendan Quinn. Again, I really recommend everyone reading that story. It's so informative on McMahon. I think he's a really sharp coach with a good command. He's not going to be Will Wade personality wise, and that's probably for good and, you know, good for the most part. I think he is a ball coach. And I think he's one of those guys who really connects with people in person, but he's not necessarily like he's charming. Like I'm not going to say like he's boring, but at the same time, like he's not going to go out there and just like say the funniest thing you've ever heard or like be like, wow, Will Wade said that, which happened at least like mm-hmm. once every mm-hmm. two weeks. So, you know, so it was, it was a little dry of a press conference, but probably by design. I'm formulating a take in my head that that's brewing and that Scott Woodward is out to hire boring coaches. And I think that's a good thing. For us, you are on to something. Well, there. so Kim Mulkey is not that, and Kim Mulkey can take the mantle of entertain the mm. entertainer of the athletic department. But I have a counter. But Kim Mulkey is also like one of the five best women's basketball coaches alive. So I'll give her that. But like, if you look back at the the football and basketball coaches specifically, we had Les Miles, Ed Ogeron, big personalities, both in extremely different ways. Both saw great success. We adored them when they were here at points. Didn't like them so much at the end, but it's fine. We, I mean, they really, these personality-driven coaches, they really win support. They really gin up support from the fan base. It was a great thing. Same thing with Will Wade. I mean, like I was telling you, you know, the national media hated Will Wade because of him basically flouting the NCAA and even the FBI in some ways. But, like, he did that for us. Like his, It wasn't like he was just being a bad dude to be a bad dude. He was trying to win at LSU, which is what we want to see. And he has a big personality while doing it. And so it really earned him a lot of loyalty, too, amongst a admittedly smaller fan base. But still, people loved him here. At, just as they loved Ed Ogeron, just as they loved Les Miles when he's eating grass, and Ed Ogeron when he's talking about putting people in a bayou, you know, at the bottom of the bayou because that's that's what we do to people who don't want to you know that that kind of stuff really translates to support when you're doing well but then you hire brian kelly who is the model of stability in college football outside of nick saban and Dabo swinney like the man wins 11 games that's just what he does but his personality which i love now is going to be doing these dad dance moves um, with recruits who might be making fun of him, but who cares? They're big time recruits and he clearly doesn't care and he knows what he's doing. And then Mac McMahon who just says we're LSU and we're going to win. And I, I, I would not like to elaborate any further at this moment, which I, I'm going to support him right away, but it's, it's just funny that we are shifting away from this. And, and it's also this clashing thing as we have talked about, like it's LSU. We have these big personalities down here. we, we have spicy food. We got the, the fun accents and like. And scandals. And scandals. And it's kind of, pardon the French, a shit show a lot of the time. But it's our shit show. And, you know, we've had coaches that have embraced that mentality and that we've loved them because they've embraced it. And now we are introducing the antithesis. So either it really works in harmony and we have this like beautiful shit show that works and doesn't doesn't fall away we just get the fun personality and the bold crawfish out of it or we just get these people who don't fit here and we'll see if that happens but i'm sitting i'm sitting so, on that take I'm, I'm letting it marinate and we're and we're gonna see what happens well no yeah i don't disagree i think to even build on that or even to like bounce off it like i think each one of these you could say is very clearly 
Because I don't think, yeah, I don't think Brian Kelly is trying, because you're saying like Mulkey's the outlier and Kelly's trying to, you know, hire quote unquote boring people. I think it's even more specific that each one is actually a, and I'm giving Woodward credit here, a well thought out reaction to the last in terms of, yeah, Mulkey's not like the others, but women's basketball is the only one of those three that needed a mm-hmm. smoke. That's like, a good point. They, like, that's the one where it's, you don't want boring. Boring is how you got here. You need big, make people care, make, bring eyeballs to women's basketball, get someone to raise money. That is what you exactly needed for Mulkey. And, you know, basketball, it's men's basketball, sorry. It's, you know, hey, you just came out of one of the biggest cheating scandals in recent memory. You need squeaky clean Southern Kentucky coach, you know, mm-hmm. who like just good family life, all that stuff. That's what you need. Or coming out of Ed Ogeron, it was absolute disruption and um, just terrible organization. And the entire structures were disastrous. I mean, you talk to anyone in that program, like what they left was just a mess with organizational structure. And now you're hiring one of the three best, most renowned structure process, getting everything exactly stable grownups mm-hmm. in sports. Right. So it's like each one is a specific reaction. Baseball's trickier. You could make the argument to help my point that Jay Johnson is the reaction to Maneri because you wanted youth, you wanted recruiting, you know, all that stuff. You wanted offense. So that's true. But at the same time, I'd say like they wanted, you know, Maneri is the squeaky clean guy. And they wanted they were like they were going for Kevin O'Connell. You know what I mean? So like maybe that one is more result in process. I don't know, man. No, Jay Johnson posts a picture uh, of the whole team like they're this amazing T-ball team after they win, which I find very endearing (laughs) and I love it. So did I. So like he kind of fits with that, too. It's like, you know. Instead of getting juice boxes, they get to take a picture of the the outfield and uh, we won. Now let's let's. No, he I totally fits your theme. Uh, yeah, you're not wrong. I, yeah, I just I'm just building on it. Yeah, so it's you know absolutely. what my narrative is set. It's a different looking. LC. My narrative is set, and we're we're gonna see. But like you know, like like we said, like the the athletic department has changed, so we won't harp on it too long. I just want to put the narrative out there and everybody on my side. Um, Brody, let's move to our new favorite segment, the last five minutes club, which last we are making a hashtag thing. We really appreciated all your responses on Twitter. We yeah, we were actually really blown away, everyone, by the actual amount of pineapples we got. It was fantastic. So every week we are we are going to pick an emoji and I'm gonna pick a hypothetical and I'm gonna present it to Brody where he has no preparation so he can have an actual I'm so thing. nervous. So and this can be anything. We're gonna start with an LSU sports thing, but this can be anything. And also before we start this one. I'm going to ask you guys to send in hypotheticals for us that you want to hear. This can be, uh, do you like Oreos or Chips Ahoy better? This can be, you know, which linebacker is going to be better? We'll talk about anything. But what you have to do to get it submitted is that you have to send it to me. And you have to include the specific emoji that we do. So this week, the emoji will be a dolphin. And then you get to send me a hypothetical or... You get to answer this hypothetical that we're going to talk about right now, which is a real sicko shit for LSU sports fans. All right, Brody. <sighs> These are two LSU football so teams that are playing against each other. Week one, week okay. one versions of the football teams. 2020 LSU Ooh. versus 2021 LSU. Week one. 
Who, who you got? <laughs> oh, that's so good. Man. Because, like, I trust 2021 more as a whole. Like, they know what they're doing more. Do they? They they looked yes. worse week one than LSU did uh, week one of 2020. What? Are you... St- defense gave up 630 passing yards. Yeah, and, they, like, and yep. 2021 lost to a worse team. I don't know if I inherently agree that... I think UCLA and Mississippi State were probably relatively equal. Uh, the <laughs> Still. two teams. Like... Uh, yeah, but the difference is like 2021 game, it was like that was a really good game for two and a half quarters. And then eventually LSU's offensive line just kind of ran out of steam and mm-hmm. the offense fell apart. And like they lost like a normal football game. 2020 was like, holy crap, LSU is lost. And they just lost to a probably bad Mississippi State mm-hmm. team. Like, but I'm not saying I know my answer yet because here's my difference. 2021, I feel like there's less coverage bus, right? It's week one. There's less. Like, they know what they're generally doing more, but at the same time, there's, like, more, like, things that don't work. Like, Max Johnson week one had a tough time. O-line week one had a tough time. Uh, I still think they were in the process, like, figuring out playmakers on offense, and that wasn't quite working right. You know, stuff like that. Dronte Jones was still learning how to be a DC. So, like, the upside was less on that team. But at the same time, like, I feel like they knew what they were doing more. 2020, it's like... Yeah, man, like Miles Brennan was thrown for 400, like three high 300 yards. Receivers filthy, or at least they should have been. You know, uh, Stingley's out there. Actually, Stingley's there for both. But like Rick's look pretty good at times. Like you could tell me the upside of that week one 2020 is better because like I trust 2020 Brennan over 2020 Johnson. Mm -hmm. But I feel like 2021 is going to fuck up less. (gasps) Wow, I just dropped that. So sorry. Um, (laughs) I'm going to. I think I'm saying 2021. I think I'm saying 2020 because I think the personnel is more mature and it's better week one. Yeah, I get that. But it's, I just it's an don't awful know. game. It's a terrible nothing, game. Yeah, terrible <laughs> game because how you're saying more mature and all that is confusing me because nothing about 2021 LSU was as bad as the LSU defense. That's, a, that, that's like, a good yeah, point. All the veterans you want. And I, yeah, I am saying week like, one and coaches too. So, so yeah, you like, are, you're rolling with week one Jake Peets, week, week one Durante Jones versus week one um, Steve Ensminger and slash. Which, by the way, he's the best of Linehan, the And like, then week yeah. one Bo Pelini. Yeah, I think the Bo Pelini thing is the one thing. It's just the biggest outlier. I mean, maybe you could argue Pete's was as bad. I don't. I think Pete's was more just like consistently below average. He was never like, holy crap. The Pelini was like, wait, this is the worst defense in the SEC in a long time. Like, we can't underplay mm-hmm. that. So, in, in, so in, in your corner, and I, I was going a little off field, but in your corner, Derek Stingley played week one of 2021. He did not play week one of 2020. Oh, duh, you're right. You're so, right. yeah, okay. You could say you have an elite cornerback, and I think Stingley played pretty well in that UCLA game. Oh, yeah. And Ricks got ejected, or someone got ejected, right? Uh, Rick, Ricks so had a There great was a point pick. where it was literally... Did he get ejected? That game? Yeah, but someone did, because it was eventually like Jay Ward, Darren Evans, like an injured mm-hmm. Jay Ward. Like, yeah, like, and like, it was just the three corners they were playing was like, holy crap, they're a mess. So I don't think Ricks got ejected, but something happened. Um. Yeah, I, I think I take 2021, man. Interesting. See, I'm rolling with my guy, Miles. You're choosing upside. I'm choosing stability. I, I'm choosing Miles Brennan right now over week one, Max Johnson, Touché. who threw a ball behind his back. Yeah. 
God, I can't wait. To, I'm going to do like an oral history in five years of the backwards past. That, this this whole era, that, that's why I find this so fascinating because it is just such an outlier era of modern LSU football that has wonderful players mixed in, you know? That's the weirdest part. And it's going to get weirdly forgotten in history, I think, in some ways because it's going to be yada yada because of like it happened in the pandemic and it happened like under the umbrella of 2019. You know what I mean? Like, it's going to weird. I think it's if they're back to winning nine games this year, I think it's going to get weirdly yada yada in history. Yeah. But it's like, I can't wrap my head around how surreal these last. Well, see, okay, the other like, thing. Eric, the Eric Gilbert saga ranks like 12. Yeah. You know, Eric Gilbert like, was good. Eric Stingley was the best draft prospect I've seen in person in my life. See, and then like now, and then he just like kind of disappeared. Like just so much. Weird see, stuff. okay, and here's a point in my direction. So Eric, like people forget with all of the Eric, Eric Gilbert's travels, um, he was really damn good for those those games he played early in 2020. But they didn't really figure out how to use him yet. He still caught a he ton didn't really of balls. Get the ball much in that game. I feel like week one he wasn't really get like they didn't know how to use a tight end like that yet. Uh, so I feel like he started getting. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But the thing but is, I'm saying yes, that you're right. You have Gilbert. Yeah, you, uh, have, you have Terrace Marshall. You do have Marshall just absolutely popping off, but no Chase. Butte didn't get rolling till about week seven. Yeah, Butte was not in the picture. It was basically it was basically Marshall and Jenkins. That was pretty much the receiver. Week one, Eric Gilbert had four catches for 37 yards and a touchdown. That sounds about right. Oh, he did get a touchdown. Nice. Oh, yeah. Uh, he had the, like, remember the Miles Brennan, like, falling mm-hmm. over touchdown? Yep. Like the accident. It was an accident basically. touchdown. I just I just think that the with, with Gilbert and Marshall. And, wait, can we, wait, can we talk yes. about this real quick? So both week ones involve surreal throws. Yes. That worked out better than they should. Uh, one worked out for a touchdown. The other, thank God, and fell one should have been a to the ground. Pick six. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So real themes here these last two years. So you're sticking with 2021, huh? I am. I'm riding with 2020. I think it's a shootout. I, I think it is like 52-49. But you, I'm, you know how I live my life. I live my life by eliminating the biggest weakness rather than like the greatest strength. You're picking the strength. I'm picking avoiding that defense. That's just that's the fundamental it's, differences in how we live our lives. It would be a, a great game between two extremely mediocre teams, and I'm riding with my current. I really hope we get. I hope we get some tweets with that's, the dolphin. Like I, I want people to weigh I want in. It, no. I want it. Yeah, it's gonna be a great. Okay, one. that is our last five minutes club. It has been a great last five minutes. We went long today, baby, but it was dense. Uh, tweet me your takes on 2020 LSU because you know what? If you can't appreciate the bad times, then how can you uh, properly appreciate the good times? So I don't think this is a function of us really getting in the muck of LSU. Uh, I love all my LSU sons. So um, yeah, I'm going to choose to uh, enjoy this conversation and I, I don't want to shun them. So tweet, tweet us your takes with a dolphin emoji and give us a fun hypothetical that you would like answered on this podcast. Yeah. Email Chris. You have the email, right? Uh, I just gave Twitter, but you can email me. It's uh, cbranch at because well, then I'm going to see com. it. Oh, that's true. Well, you can you can DM me on Twitter or email <laughs> me at cbranch at theathletic.com, and we're going to figure it out. Brody, anything else to add? No, thanks for staying. Well, hopefully, thanks for listening, guys. This is a fun one. We'll have more next week. We're we're, we're going to make last five minute club T shirts. Uh, I'm I'm just going to do it. So we're we're going to figure it out. Um, thank you guys for listening. 
rate us five stars on everything. And uh, thanks for sticking around. Uh, and see you next week, Brody. See you next week, buddy.